Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that in these next few moments you would speak truth to our hearts. Pray that uh, you, Holy Spirit, would come and be our teacher in this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bible, will you take it and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians and that passage that uh, Pastor Dave read for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll land in verse 19 uh, through uh, 23 as we look at that this morning. If you're going to use one of the Pew Bibles, I believe you can find that on page 1111 is the page number. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. As we've uh, walked through this message and this sermon series based out of 1 Corinthians, Pastor Rick took uh, two weeks to expand on chapter 7. Uh, we've already, we already had our teaching assignments kind of uh, laid out before he made that shift. So I went back to him and asked him if he wanted me to pick up eight this week. He said, no, stick with chapter nine. And if we need to, we'll jump back to chapter eight. So I'm here and I will present to you chapter nine of first Corinthians because the boss said so. So that's where we're at this morning. First Corinthians chapter nine, Paul's instruction to those people there. You know, as we walk through this series, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to get real in our life and in our faith in light of today's culture and in our society? As we've decided to go through 1 Corinthians as the model, we've seen um, from the very beginning, we laid the groundwork that said the things that were happening in the life and in the culture and in the society of this early church in Corinth is remarkably similar to what is happening in life and culture and society 2,000 years later as we sit here in North America. It is amazing when we read through this. The struggles and the challenges that the church in Corinth had are very similar to the struggles and the challenges that we have today. And so the question for us as we walk through this series and as we look at this entire book, the question is, how do we live a real, authentic, Christ-honoring, Christ-following life in the culture and the society that we live in? The challenge has been for us to get real, to get real in our relationship with God, in our conduct, and in our, in, in our conduct, especially within this culture. What does it mean? What do we have to do? What was Paul's encouragement 2,000 years ago that we can still hold on to today? As we look at this in chapter 9, I want to set it up with a little bit of a a personal story or application. Um, Before we, as a family, made our circuitous journey to First Alliance Church more than a year ago, we spent a little over five years in Somerset, Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if you know where Somerset is. It's about 150 to 180 miles south of here. And we lived right in the town of Somerset in Somerset County. Somerset, um, if you remember, uh, was the, the community where nine miners were trapped underground for a period of days, and all nine of them were rescued uh, from that, that mine disaster. Do you remember that, that story? 
Okay, that's that's Somerset. That's where we lived. Also, Somerset is uh, the place, the final resting place of those who were aboard United Flight 93 on September 11th. That was our community. So Somerset had some national headlines recently, but not only for those reasons is Somerset known, but Somerset is known for their maple syrup. It's a big industry in that part of the the country, and uh, they're known for maple syrup. They're known as the home of Berlin uh, potato chips and pretzels and Snyder of Berlin in that area. So those of you that are no offense to our Troyer Farms people, but that's where Snyder's is. It's also known for its cornfields, its dairy farms, and their hunting. They love their hunting. And we soon and quickly realized that as we uh, got established in that community. Somerset is a hardworking community. It's a uh, kind of get-or-done kind of community, if you know what I mean. That's who they are, and we loved living there. We absolutely loved our time there and have very close friends uh, still in that community. Our first year that we lived in Somerset, uh, it was our first summer that we were there. The guys that we were friends with and the men in our church were already getting ready for hunting season that was coming up. They were already talking about it. They were already talking about getting their hunting license and making sure they sent in for their doe tag. I didn't even know what they were talking about. But they were talking about this and and finding where their spots in the woods were going to be and talking about getting their tree stands ready. And so this was the, the community and the culture that we lived in. Now, although I grew up here in Erie County, where I know there are a lot of avid outdoorsmen and sportsmen, I knew absolutely nothing of outdoor sportsmanship like that. If it wasn't round and bounced, I didn't play it. And so uh, I didn't know anything about hunting. I really didn't know anything about fishing. I mean, I knew there was a lake or something out there, but I wasn't really, you know, into that. But in the, in the culture that we lived in in Somerset, I realized pretty quickly I needed to find a way to connect to these people, to connect to the, the men of our church and the men of our community. And so I said, as we were sitting there that first summer, I said, you know what? I'll go hunting with you. And I think my wife about fell over. She, uh, she was amazed that I would have that kind of response, that I would decide to jump right into that and dive right into that. And she had a few stipulations for me before I would be allowed to go hunting with the guys. The biggest one was that I had to take the hunter's safety course. Really big on safety, making sure that I was going to come home safe from my first experience hunting. So I said, no problem. Hunter's safety course? got it under control. I'll take it. So we spent a couple of weeks trying to find the right one at the right time, and we did that, and, and I was getting all ready and set to take that course. I mapped out where it was. I put it on MapQuest, find out how to get there, and I walk into the gun club where this course is being taken. you got to picture this. I walk into the gun club, and the room is filled with 12 to 14-year-old boys with their dads. I'm 30 years old by myself. I'm taking the course. So I sit down at the table and we walk through all of the uh, instruction in the morning and we get all of the teaching and we're taking 
copious notes of, well, I was, and trying to figure out what to do and how to do it and what's right and wrong and all those kind of things. We go out in the afternoon for a little target practice, and, and I did okay, and I saved face and was able to come back in and complete the course. And, and they start handing out the test booklets for the test, and an and instructor was handing them out to all the kids, and he looked at me and he said, do you need one? And I said, yep, I'm taking the test. And so I filled out the test, and I, and I want you to know, there's not an uh-oh to this story. I want you to know I passed the test, all right? In fact, I only got one question wrong, all right? And it was a trapping question, so that doesn't even really count. So I was good to go. I walked out that morning. I had my, my safety patch that I was awarded, and I was ready to go to go hunting. And so we really prepared with our, with our friends, we were talking it up and, you know, where are the right places to go and what are the times that we're going to meet and all of those, those kind of things. And so here I am, the first day of hunting rolls around and we're talking deer season. Um, the first day of deer season rolls around. And if you are a sportsman or if you are a hunter, you know, or if you live with one, you know that the night before it's like Christmas Eve at your house. They are they are up and they are antsy and they're laying out their their clothes. They they may even be driving down the road shining the light in the field to see where the best spot's going to be. They're cleaning their gun. They're making sure that they're ready to go the next morning. And if the night before is like Christmas Eve, the day of is Christmas Day. They are all excited and geeked up and they are up and going. They are they are ready to go early in the morning. They know the churches and the restaurants that have the early breakfasts for all the hunters and they're out there rocking and rolling with their hunting. And here I am, never hunted a day in my life. And the plan was that we would meet at some ungodly hour of like five thirty in the morning. Didn't even know five thirty had a morning hour. And um, so we decided to meet up and we get together and, and we go put ourselves in the field. I don't even know what the right term is. We just went out and got there. OK, well, on this first day, on this first day, there was a heavy fog. And so there was not there, there wasn't any action early in the morning because of it. So right around right around 9 a.m., the fog begins to lift and, and I'm, I'm sitting in my spot. And I take a look down in the field and out walks this big buck walking right along the field. And I'm sitting there and my heart starts pounding right away and, and I'm fumbling with the gun. I know I got to do something here. And I pick up the gun and I look through the scope and I had set the scope on nine power, if that means anything to you. I couldn't see two feet in front of me. I couldn't find anything. Pulled it back down, reset the scope, pulled it back up, and by that time, I'm not lying, that buck was probably 30 yards away from me. Now, some of you are probably fans of PETA, and so I will spare you the details. All I will say is this, one shot. That's all it took, one shot. And um, so what we did was you do what you do after you shoot a deer, and then we... In the tradition, in the tradition of that community and in that culture, um, we loaded the, the deer into the back of my friend's truck and we drove into town to the local newspaper to have my picture taken with my trophy so that it could be in the next day's paper. 
with all of the other articles of the successful hunters of that season. I even saw it this year in the Erie Times, so you know what I'm talking about when those things happen. In fact, here's a picture of that. That was, that was the day. I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. This isn't a fake story. I, that was the day. That was the picture that was in the uh, Daily American in Somerset. I did edit it so that I wouldn't gross you out. But um, that was my experience with hunting. 9.30 a.m., the first day of the season, the first time in my entire life that I went hunting, I had a nine-point buck. There's nothing to this hunting thing. You just get up and you get out there. And, and boy, did I use that story. And I'll tell you what. I gained acceptance. I gained friendship. I was able to enter their culture, their community, because I was willing to become all things to all men so that I might, by all means, save some. I want to be honest with you this morning. You know, why would I tell, tell you this hunting story? Could it be to promote our church's sportsman dinners next February with Charles Alzheimer as the speaker? No. Shameless plug. Dean, that was for you. Um, the reality of it is this is that this experience, my personal experience with this, emulates the principle that Paul is speaking about when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. My greatest desire was not to hunt when I moved to Somerset. In fact, I was a little scared. In fact, today, if you ask me to go hunting, which I will, if you ask me, I'll get my license and I'll go out with you just so you know, I'm going to be a little scared because there's this thing that you got to, you know, it's like, what do you do after you get it? Right? It's not the guns and the bullets and the sitting in the woods that freaks me out. It's now I've shot it, now what do I do? And so I feel a little out there. So if you're safe with that and you're good with that, I'll go with you. I'm your man. But my desire when we moved to that community was not to hunt. My desire when we moved to that community was not to get up at those hours and get dressed in those clothes and go sit in the woods. My greatest desire was to connect with people and to connect with the people of that community and to connect with the people of that church, to become one of them, to get to know them, to understand them, to live in their world and invest in their lives. My desire to connect with those people outweighed my desire to hunt. Paul said it this way. I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul goes on to describe how he modeled this behavior. Looking at verse, let's look at that in context, verse 19 of chapter 9. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Verse 22. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might 
save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. One of the issues that had come up with the people in Corinth that were gathering in this early small church, one of the issues that had come up was was the, the conduct, the behavior of Paul as he lived and expressed his newfound freedom in Christ. He was no longer tied to the law of Judaism to find favor in God's eyes. He was experiencing this newfound freedom in following Christ and accepting Christ's death and atonement on the cross and resurrection for new life. There was new freedom in how he could live and how he could act and what he would do. But as these Corinth believers looked at Paul's life and heard the reports and as he visited their city and they watched his activity, as they watched him talk to people who were outside of faith, as they watched him interact with people who had no church background, as they watched him go to places and establishments that, that really own only those who are pagan would go to, they had serious questions about what he was doing and why he was doing it and where this all was coming from. Paul goes on in chapter and the early part of chapter 9 to discuss that situation and bring answers to it. It seems as though that some of his personal activity and interests were the same as those who were outside the church and even the pagans. And this raised flags and they had questions. So Paul drives home this point at the end of chapter 9 to clarify what he was doing and how he was living. He didn't want there to be any misconception of how he lived his life. There would be no inconsistency between what he professed and how he lived. In fact, he goes to great lengths to show how his faith in Christ brings freedom from finding God's favor in and through different activities and behaviors. If you remember a couple of months ago, I spoke to you in our series, An Inconvenient Truth. And I shared with you the thought, it's faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone that matters. It's not man's rituals. It's not man's customs that gives us a connection to God. We do not find favor with God through the customs of men. We are free from that. And Paul is driving that point home again now to the people in Corinth. And he says, I am free. I am free to live this way. And it's interesting though, with his freedom, what he does. With his freedom in mind, not belonging to the customs of man to find favor with God, he says that he actually becomes a slave or a servant to all men. 19, though I am free and belong to no man, customs and rituals, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. It's quite the paradox, isn't it? I am free I am free from your customs and from your traditions to follow God's standards and God's commands. I am free from man's perspective. But in my freedom, what I do 
is I make myself a servant to those people. I give myself back to them. I give myself over to them to serve them, to live with them, to be with them, to walk with them. He says, I become all things to all men. He makes himself like the people he's trying to reach. He is clear, though, that he's not changing his character. He is who he is, and he holds firm to his faith in Christ and the values of the Christian life. But he will embrace the interests of others to win them to Christ. He becomes like them to earn the credibility and to earn the right to be heard in their lives so that he may present Christ to them. And I want to be very clear here. There is no mention or innuendo of doing whatever is needed, whatever is needed to earn acceptance with a person or a group of people. The idea that Paul is presenting is not one where a person may involve themselves in sin or a sinful lifestyle for the sake of the gospel. He is very clear in 21, verse 21, to those not having the law, the Judaism customs and law, I became like them as one not having the law. Parentheses, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. There was never a moment in his life where he set aside God's values, God's standards, and God's direction for him in his life so that he could make a connection to another group of people. Instead, as he made that connection with another group of people, he took with him God's values and God's standards and God's direction for his life. Gordon Fee comments that Paul is not reflecting that he becomes godless or wicked in his behavior with the Gentiles. He is still under God's law, even as he interacts in the Gentile circles. He will not do, nor is he advocating, anything in conduct that is contrary to God's standards of godly living. Is that clear? This is not a license to sin or to live in contradiction to God's standards. But as Paul builds bridges of friendships into the Gentile community, as he begins to attend their functions, and as he begins to go to their events, as he's invited to come into their homes, he is still guided by God's standards of conduct for living. In all of this, Paul continues to reaffirm his right. His right as a believer, as a Christ follower, as one who is free from man's customs to become the friend of sinners just as Christ did and to enter their world. He is free to do that. Not a world of sin, but a world of their interests. A world that speaks to what is happening in their homes. A world that gives him credibility with the people he's trying to reach. He does it with a firm foundation in God's values. 
The reason he does this, the reason he enters their world is simple. To reach them with the gospel message. He goes to great lengths in his interaction with them to become one of them. So that possibly, by all means, hunter safety courses, getting up at 5.30 in the morning, sitting in the woods, driving out another set of woods, by all means, I might win some. I become like them. I'm interested in what interests them. I connect to their life. I connect to their world. I connect to their homes. I connect to their families. Never doing anything in my connecting that would take away from God's values or God's standards. It would put me in a position of sin. But I connect with people. I get to know who they are. I like what they like. I go to their restaurants. I go to their clubs. I go to their homes. I go to their children's events. There is an eternal perspective on the relationships that Paul is building. He does this so that by all means possible, he might save some. He continually has an eternal perspective on the relationships that he's building. When he sees a person, he thinks about their eternity. When he sees a neighbor, he thinks about their eternity. When he's in a new area, a new town, and a new region, and he's building new friendships and business contacts, he thinks about their eternity. How can I get to know this person? How can I invest in their life so that for eternity's sake, something would happen in their lives? He's not interested. Listen, the primary interest is not in, in seeking justice for the unjust. His primary interest isn't resolving um, uh, poverty in their lives. His primary objective is not to see that, that they are uh, recovered or helped out of despair. His primary objective is not that their marriages would become healthy and that their homes would become safe. His primary objective is that their eternal destiny would be secured in the person of Jesus Christ. When that happens, marriages are healed. Homes become safe. The just, justice is served to the unjust. We begin to alleviate poverty. That's when those things happen. His perspective was always primarily, first and foremost, on the eternal. Paul's motive, even if it was in his own mind and it was unspoken, is clear. He had eternity in mind. So what's the challenge for us today? What's the point of Paul's writing 2,000 years ago for us today? How does it relate to our lives? Some of you may, may even be saying, you know, uh, Pastor, your hunting example was, was a bit humorous and okay, but, you know, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do those kind of things. I would say that the challenge for us today is the same as it was for Paul and his readers 2,000 years ago, regardless of what our vocation is. Being a real follower of Christ means living in such a way that by all possible means we may win some to faith in Christ. 
by all means, whatever it takes, whatever it takes for me to get into that relationship, to get into that community, to get into that neighborhood, to get into that that event. I need to get in there so that by all possible means, as I do that, I might save some. It's his words. His words, not mine, in verse 22. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. It's interesting to me the extent to which Paul would go when he understands that the results may not match his effort. I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I don't know that I'm going to reach everyone. I don't know that I'm going to reach everyone with the eternal message of Christ. But I'm going to give it my all in this setting, in this community, in this situation, in this job, in this home, in this family, in this culture. I'm going to give it my all for the sake of eternity so that we may reach some. And the ones I don't reach, maybe you'll reach. And the ones you can't reach, somebody else will reach. Because we are all giving our all. The easy question this morning is to ask, what are we doing to reach people? That's the easy question. But to me, that's almost secondary to a more foundational question, which is this. Do we even care to reach people? Do we even have the heart to reach those around us? When we look across the street, when we look across the cubicle in our office, when we look on the job site, when we walk through the mall, when we walk through the store, when we sit on the softball team, do we even care about the hearts and the lives of the people that are right around us? To me, that's the foundational question. And Paul, Paul shows two underlying principles that are at work that underscore the lengths to which he would go to become all things to all men, the lengths that he would go to reach other people. The first is a genuine concern for others. He has a genuine concern for other people. I want to be clear, Paul is not advocating at any point a bait-and-switch mentality. There is no, no, nothing about Paul's writing and teaching that says, I'm going to tease them along with with being interested in who they are and where they live and where they work and what's going on. And, And then I'm going to slide the gospel right in there and see if they accept it. And if they don't, I'm out of here. And if they do, great, I'll pass them along to somebody else. I'm on to my next conquest. That's not Paul's attitude. He becomes all things to all men. He invests in their life, their livelihoods, to make a real connection. And if they never accept the gospel message, as sad as it is, it's fine with him because he's doing all he can do. He's investing in their hearts. 
He's investing in their lives. And you know what? Sometimes when we make that investment, we are not the ones who will see the end result. But somebody else will. Somebody else in this room, across this aisle, will see the result of our investment in the lives of another person because we've been faithful to do what we've been asked to do. And that's fine by me. There's a genuine concern for the people that he invests in. He lives with an amazing love for lost people. Reminded of the video that Shar used to set up her song. Some people don't even know what it means to be lost. But we have the opportunity to invest in their lives and to speak truth to them. He had a deep love for people who are outside the faith. You know, life is a little messy. Real life is a little messy. And as we become all things to all men, so that by all possible means we might save some, it means that we have to live with the messiness. It means that as we invest in the lives of people with a genuine concern for who they are, we're going to step across the street and we're going to step right into the mess of their lives. We're going to step into the middle of their hurt, in the middle of their pain, in the middle of their addictions, in the middle of their darkest moments, in the middle of their hopelessness. And if we are truly becoming all things to all people, so that by all means we might win some, we're going to step right into the middle of it. And we have the opportunity to offer help, hope, and healing in those moments. That's how the person knows you care. That's how they know that you're sincere. That's how you gain an audience with them. When it doesn't matter what's happening in their life, you're right there with them. You're right there to walk beside them and to help them. My fear is that too often we'd rather live in a little Christian bubble We'd rather inoculate ourselves from the world and just live with our little Christian environment. And we just do our Christian things. We go to our nice Christian church. Maybe we even have a nice Christian restaurant that we all go to on Sunday. Bob Evans, I guess. And um, we live in this little Christian bubble. These are the things we do. These are the places we go. These are the things that we say. These are the friends that we have. And those things we don't do, don't have, don't go to, don't involve ourselves in. But the problem with that is there's a whole world of people with hurt, pain, darkness, sadness, brokenness, and the mess of life that live in that part of the world that we are completely ignoring as we live in our Christian bubble. Paul said, I become all things to all men. I don't let go of the truth of God. I don't let go of my values. I don't let go of my Christian character or conduct. But I, but I immerse myself into their lives, into their events, into their activities, into their lifestyle, into their family, so that as we walk through the mess together, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll save one. And there's an implicit function in there in the middle of it. The second underlying principle to become all things to all men is, is implied in that statement. It means I have to have self-sacrifice. 
It means I have to self-sacrifice. I have to give up something that I care about, something that I desire, something that, that belongs to me, something that I hold on to. Maybe it's my time. Maybe it's my talent. It was my money. When I went hunting, I had to pay for a license. I'd pay for clothes. I know more about real tree hardwoods clothes than I care to know. I had to sacrifice those things to get into that culture. To become all things to all men carries the idea of self-sacrifice. When was the last time we made a personal sacrifice so that the message of of the gospel could be heard, seen, or modeled in our own lives? Think about it. To become all things to all men means self-sacrifice. Char sang the song about shining the light into a world. And I think at times when we think about this word picture, we, we, we see it in Scripture time and again, stated in different ways. A city on a hill will not be hidden and hide it under a bushel. No, and all those kind of things. But I think sometimes when we think about that, Perhaps we think about that with some kind of distance involved, as though we have this light that we are shining out to this world, and if the world out there would see it and grasp it and understand it, then we could bring them along to us to help them see the light. And I think the better picture is we have a light to shine, and we go right in, to the world and the culture and the society and the homes that they live in. And our light shines not from a distance, but our light shines right around in this relationship. I think that's the better picture. But it takes self-sacrifice. It takes a willingness to step out and to be involved in the lives of people who are not like us in some respects but involved in the lives of people who in other respects are very much like us. How many of us came from places of brokenness, hopelessness, hurt, pain, and the mess of life to find help, hope, and healing in Christ? Such were some of us. And we hold this light of hope, and we have the opportunity to invest it in the lives of people. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 gives us a little insight into what it means to make a real impact on the lives of people in today's culture. Today's culture is hard. It's challenging. It's difficult. If you actually take this up to become all things to all men, so that by all possible means you might save some, and you don't let go of your godly values, and you don't let go of your godly heritage, and you don't let go of the commands of God, if you take up this challenge, I guarantee you there will be people who whisper behind your back and say, did you see who she was talking to? Did you see where they went? I saw them at that restaurant, and it wasn't Bob Evans. Can you live with that? I hope. And I hope we can teach and educate everybody else around us and our friends and our family to say, 
I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I'm not letting go of my values, standards, or godly uh, drive in my life, but I'm taking it with me as I enter the lives of other people. And so as I close this morning, I wonder if within us there is even a desire. Is there even a desire in our hearts to walk across the street, to invest in the lives of others? Or are we comfortable with the bubble that we live in? What would it look like for you to make a sacrifice to invest in the lives of other people? What message would we send to those other people? What message would we send to our friends? I thought of this. What message would we send to our children who would watch mom and dad step outside of the bubble and invest in the lives of people who are over there? holding on to their values, holding on to their heritage, holding on to the standards that God has placed in their lives and in their homes, holding on to that. What would the children see and think when they saw mom and dad investing in the lives of people who are outside of faith and outside of the church? What would it look like if we opened up and loved others without an us versus them mentality, without this this turf war kind of thing. We are the Christians and we are we do these things and we live this way and you are outside of faith and you are over there and you are separate from us. What if we just lived without this kind of otherness and us versus them and this is my turf and that's yours? What if we just did away with all that and we just lived life with people? Where could we where could we right now personal application Where can we right now leverage our lives into the life of someone else without compromising our values, without compromising our God's standards in our lives? But where could we right now leverage our lives into somebody else? How can I do that? I think Paul gives us a very interesting challenge throughout all of his writings a challenge to be real, and a challenge to invest in the lives of people, whatever the cost. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, would you seal this to our hearts and allow it to resonate deep within us? Would you help us to see those relationships right now, right where we are, where we could take our lives and leverage who we are, what we have, and our interests, and sacrifice that to connect with other people. Teach us and show us those things. In Christ's name, amen.